Blog Talk Radio. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hey everybody, welcome to Joe Radio's The Career Expert Live. And today we have a very special guest in Gail McGovern, the American Red Cross President and CEO. Uh, as many of you know, I worked at the Red Cross for many, many years, uh, commuting from Delaware to D.C. and Ashburn, Virginia Daily. And it was the best experience I ever had working there. And um, you know, Gail McGovern got her first professional job and worked at Bell Telephone, part of AT&T as a programmer, worked away to run the business and markets division, then later to the consumer markets division, which was the largest division. And then Gail went on to Fidelity Investments, where she oversaw their distribution channels, brand centers, and phone centers, and she was promoted to the president of personal investments. And then Gail joined the faculty at Harvard Business School in June 2002, where she taught marketing for six years, earning the title professor of management practice. Her marketing philosophy was that you always listen to your customers and experience what they're experiencing, and that you show respect for your customers and understand their needs. And then Gail was actually appointed the American Red Cross president and CEO in June 2008 and led the organization through a tremendous change for the better, streamlining so many things. So we're looking for uh, Gail to join us here. Hello, Gail. Hi there. Hi, how are you? Very good. Good. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule. It is absolutely my pleasure, and I'm delighted to do it. And thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. And, and I was just telling uh, you know the audience that uh, had wonderful experience working at the Red Cross, and uh, it was great to uh, to work under your leadership. Um, and I left a few years ago, and as I said, it's just a great experience, and I love the organization so much. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, why don't we get right into um, to the questions I have for you? That sounds great, Joe. Great. So, Gail, what made you go down the career path that you chose? So what was the defining thing that said, this is where I, what I want to do and where I want to go? Well, I never actually knew exactly what I wanted to do and exactly where I wanted to go, but um, I come from a set of parents who were the type of people that just always got engaged in their community and they tended to give back. My mom was always involved in my Girl Scout troop. And my dad uh, worked himself very hard, but as soon as he retired, he was an optometrist. And uh, he got his license in mediation. He started placing kids in foster care. Uh, He examined kids' eyes in the school system nearby. Um, We often said that he worked harder as a volunteer than he he did as an optometrist. And the year before... He left optometry, he got optometrist of the year, and two years later he got volunteer of the year in the state of New Jersey. So, And then I always worked, and I always tried to volunteer and give back. Um, I was a Girl Scout leader. I tutored inner city kids. I gave philanthropically. So I always sort of had that itch. Right. And after I left Fidelity Investments, um, I wanted to give back, so I, I – taught for a while, but when I got the call to uh, consider joining the American Red Cross, I just couldn't resist, and I'm just grateful for every single day that I'm here, and it is an absolute privilege to be part of this national treasure. 
Oh, absolutely. And I just remember my my experience too. You know, I was looking for for work at the time and I got the call and I immediately just jumped at the opportunity. I felt like a kid in a candy store and I, I was like, the Red Cross, wow, that's great. I didn't even flinch and said, when do I interview? And that was it. And the rest is history. So it's a great experience. I, it truly is. So can you walk us through um, how you got started a little bit with, you know, your career and, and the transition that you made? Because I think, you know, making transitions is always hard for people when they go from place to place. And I know you started uh, Bell Telephone, part of AT&T. And as you mentioned, you went to Fidelity and then Harvard. So what was that process like, you know, in the transition from place to place? So um, I I actually started uh, the the pathway uh, in college, because I wound up going to a school that was not co-ed, and I was in the first cohort of women. So there were 50 women and 1,900 men, and I majored in quantitative sciences. So I got very used to being in the room with only, you know, maybe one other woman, usually no other women. So. From that perspective, I, it kind of got me ready for corporate America, even though that wasn't necessarily my intent. And I, I started as a programmer, and I was just really lucky. I had some great mentors. They were really generous with me, and I had some wonderful colleagues, and so I was able to move up the technical ranks. And um, I suddenly realized that I wasn't going to go any further because I had done just about everything there was to do in the technology side of the house. And so I just found a mentor and just nagged him to death until he let me go into sales. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it really was nagging because there was nothing on my resume except for selling Girl Scout cookies that looked <laughs> even anything remotely close to sales. But he, he took a, a shot on me, and I wound up, you know, from a career perspective, I wasn't really looking for promotions. I was just looking for learning and intellectual stimulation. So I had a lot of lateral positions along the way in operations and IT and marketing. And eventually I wound up getting profit and loss jobs and um, running the business markets division there and then later the consumer markets division. And when you say transitions are hard, uh, after 24 years, you know, everything in my life was caught up around my world at AT&T, all my friends, right. you know, so many of my relationships. So when I realized I was just getting bored, I mean, I, I was reporting to the CEO and I was, you know, I wasn't learning or developing. I started answering the phone when, when search firms would call and I almost underestimated how hard it is to leave an institution that you've been with for so long, but right. um, I had this glorious uh, learning curve at Fidelity where I didn't know anything, and I was learning really rapidly, and you know, I had a lot thrown at me, and um, yeah. it was awesome. And then I finally got to the point where I thought, you know, I think it's time for me to give back, and that's right. what made me go to Harvard. And that transition was a challenge as well because. You know, I was used to being with teams and running large organizations, and here I am, an individual performer, just like I was when I was a programmer. And um, you know, it was it was fabulous. I learned as much as I taught, and the students were remarkable. 
and uh, I was there for six years. But um, when I got the call about the American Red Cross, I thought, this is really giving back. Right. And uh, lots of challenges, but I just thought, you know what, I just want to try to help and um, never had any regrets. Oh, that's great. And I think you, you really bring up a good point, too, you know, when you had said, you know, you're not really looking for promotions, but looking for learning. And I see a lot of people make that mistake. And early on in my career, I kind of did the same thing a little bit. I was looking for the promotion. Hey, look at me. You know, I want to get a manager position. And I learned very quickly that, you know, you really got to learn as much as you can and really look for great opportunities where you can add value and do things. So I think it's a, it's a great point you bring up. And Joe, just to add to that for a second, if you're constantly looking for a promotion, what happens to you is if you know you're working for a boss, you're doing a good job, but the chemistry might not be there, and right. that happens. There's a lot of yep. human judgment in all of this, and if the chemistry isn't there and you just stay in one spot and keep working and working and working, you're still not going to get promoted. Right. So I describe career ladders as more like lattices, not ladders. You go sideways and. I, I found going sideways was a blast. I just I love doing it because I learned more and more and more about business, and I learned more and more about the company I was in, and um, I met more and more people and had more and more supporters, and uh, the rest just sort of happens if you take that attitude. Now yeah, that's great. That's good stuff. So talk to me about uh, some of the early challenges you had in your career. You know, if you could pick one challenge that was a you know tough challenge, and how did you overcome that? Well, um, so I started off as a computer programmer at Bell Telephone Company of Pennsylvania, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it was that quantitative sciences major, but there was just something about my brain wiring that was so well-suited to be a programmer that, um, and I, I don't brag about myself very much, but I just really was good at this. <laughs> and right. So, um, you know, it, like I could crank out more code than um, anyone in my group, and it was almost like a two-to-one ratio with the next most um, productive programmer. It just felt like someone was paying me to do the New York Times crossword puzzle. It was just such a joyous task and just kept my brain going and so you know what happens as you know is so often when you do a job well you do get promoted and suddenly I got promoted into being the supervisor of the very group I was programming in and honestly oh yeah I, I went from probably being the best programmer in that company to being the worst supervisor in that company overnight. <laughs> was, oh, wow. I just didn't know how to delegate. And, you know, I I was one of the guys. I didn't know how to be bossy. It was just not a skill I learned. And right. um, I I was really, really fortunate in that my boss saw something in me that was worth trying to salvage because uh, – Basically, what happened is he started giving me more and more and more work. And just when I was buckling and I was right. working really, really late and my team was going home early and he, I went into his office and I said, you know, this just isn't fair. You're giving me all the work. And he said, I bet you feel like you have the work of 10 people, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you actually have 10 people in your group, so why don't you give them some of it? 
And it was like all the light bulbs went on, and I said, oh, my job isn't to write code anymore. I've got to get this out of my office and onto somebody else's desk. And um, the next morning, I worked really, really late that night, and the next morning the team came in, and I had all these charts with deadlines and workload and um, they were all, you know, taped around the walls and I started holding people accountable. But if he hadn't done that, um, I don't know what would have become of me, but it really got me on a good path and it was a big challenge, but um, he really, he really helped me out. Right. And And to add to that, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I I was just going to, I was just going to say, I've made lots of mistakes along the way. I mean, probably right. countless mistakes along the way, but I've always just tried to admit my mistakes, course correct very quickly, and in this world with all the change that's happening around us, you have to make bets, and sometimes you're going to be wrong, but I always felt that the way you deal with your failures speaks more about your leadership than your successes. No, I agree. I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. And and that's, I think, for me, you know, early on in my career, and I'd make mistakes and, you know, I'd just say, okay, I made a mistake. What did I learn from it? You know, how do I move on? How do I fix it so it doesn't happen again? Or what, what, what's the whole piece of learning here? And I couldn't agree more with you. And that, that really speaks volumes for um, for leadership. And I also think, too, you know, mentors, having a great mentor, it's a, it's a great point. And, and throughout my career, I've had a ton of different mentors and I'm always, you know, looking for, for someone to help mentor me in another area. So uh, I, I feel like a lot of people don't do that today. You know, really have some good mentors and have a have a good power base around you that can help guide you and, you know, you can bounce things off of too. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yep. So so what's it like being the CEO? And I consider the American Red Cross, you know, the, I think one of the greatest humanitarian organizations. I just I just love it. So what's it like being the CEO of the American Red Cross? So I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this having been here, but I I would describe it as the most heart-wrenching and heartwarming position in the world. And those two things are so radically different. But, you know, I have been to more disasters than I care to even think about. And you see people that have lost everything and, you know, they look terrified and, you know, just so sad and you see a lot of misery, but you also get to see some heartwarming things that that you just wouldn't see anywhere else. Um, the resiliency of the American public, how, you know, I could have my arms around someone that, you know, just lost their home and they're very weepy. And then in the next sentence they say, but you know what, it's just stuff. I'm going to start all over again and my family is okay and I'll be okay. And you know, that happens within the same five-minute span. And then, of yeah. course, the other heartwarming thing is that um, the American public is just so generous. Uh, you know, they're just so generous with their time, the way they volunteer, the way they give financial donations, the way they open up their veins to donate blood. It's um, it's amazing. It's it's very challenging, but it's also extremely gratifying and I have to tell you, it's the best job I've ever had in my life. And I get to work with the most caring, passionate, smart people, and I'm just in awe of our volunteers and in awe of our employees. 
No, that's great. And I, I know in you know my career there, I worked closely with the uh, Disaster Operations Center, and I would always walk through there. And there were a couple of times when you know we had some of those disasters like in Haiti and things like that. And I just was so amazed how, how dedicated everybody was and to see how hard they worked and how they all collaborated together so well. And uh, it's, it's a great thing. And as you said, yes, it is. It, it's great because you see people coming together to help very quickly to help those in need, but also too, it's, it's hard to, to see people go through tragedies and those experiences. But I think what makes it better is when you see everybody lifting up together and helping everybody out. It's su- such a wonderful thing. Yeah, it just never ceases to amaze me. When I think of our volunteers, I mean, they're living in staff shelters and really rough conditions, and, you know, they wake up in the morning and, you know, spend 10 hours with victims of disasters and go back, and, you know, sometimes they don't get a shower for days. I mean, it's just, it's tough work, and yet, um, you know, they, they come back each and every time. It's really something to see. Yeah, absolutely. So at the Red Cross, I know when when you started, you set some very bold uh, transformational initiatives to bring the Red Cross into a more efficient organization. So how did you go about taking on something that large and being so successful with it? Well, um, I had a lot of help for starters. Right. Um, you know, when I when I first got to the Red Cross, we had a very large operating deficit, um, over two hundred million dollars, and. You know, we had a lot of debt that we had taken on, and we had to get back to a break-even position, but the biggest challenge was we wanted to do it in a way that wouldn't sacrifice our services or the way we fulfilled our mission. Um, You know, if it were a for-profit organization, you'd probably hack away at the expenses and then maybe, you know, leave certain lines of business behind, but here, the country depends on us, so... Um, we had to make some really hard decisions, including right. layoffs um, for people that didn't touch the mission. Um, we one year had to withhold our merit increases and our uh, 401k matches to get our spending back in line. And um, we we did it by streamlining and consolidating our operations. Um, we had 700 chapters all around the country and. Every one of them had their own back office functions, their own back bank accounts, their own IT systems, financial systems, payroll systems. Um, they even had their own websites. And when you said, how how are you able to take it on? Um, and I said, I had a lot of help. I think the reason we were able to do it is because we engaged the field so heavily. We brought right. 30 execs in and asked them to redesign these your chapter execs asked them to redesign the Red Cross so that we could be more efficient. And then when they did that, we brought in another 50 to kick the tires. And each step along the way, we kept tweaking it and perfecting it. And then um, we did a really crazy thing, which was we sent the design out to every single email address we had. And uh, we got a lot of feedback from that. And um, I think everyone felt like their voice was heard and they had a chance to touch it and influence it. And what I learned was that when you're a, at a nonprofit, if you describe to people that the steps you're taking will help you better fulfill the mission, um, they, they'll, they'll be with you. They will absolutely right. be with you. And I just couldn't be more proud of our dedicated Red Crossers. Um, they really stepped up. Everyone really stepped up. And um, 
they're so passionate about the mission, they're just willing to accept these tough choices in order to make sure that we were able to do the turnaround. They they understood that this was all about saving the American Red Cross, and they all wanted to be part of that. Right. And I think you bring up a great point, too, is just, you know, the communication, talking about the steps. And I remember when we were going through those those transitions when I was there, um, communication was was excellent. It was great because you had the town halls and, you know, people knew exactly what was going on you know, as much as you could tell them the reason. But it was great because you really had the plan and you could see where things were going and what we needed to do. And I, I could see so many people rallying behind it. So I, I think that's that's a huge part, too. Like I said, the communication and engaging everybody with the steps that you have to take. And sure, some of them are are hard and, and difficult. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to do what's right for for the organization. I completely agree. And, um, you know, we're all grown up. So the more people know, the the better they feel. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people, communicate, communicate, communicate. If, if you're not telling people why you're going in this direction, they, they don't understand. And, right. you know, people actually deal with change okay. It's uncertainty that that is hard to cope with. So, right. you know, I, my philosophy is tell them everything you know, even if you don't know how um, it's going to unfold exactly. Just tell them what you know when you know it. Yep, gotcha. So uh, talking about uh, criticism a little bit, because I know in, in any business, you know, criticism is always going to be around. And, and when things don't always go people's way, you know, there's there's critics out there. So how, how do you deal with criticism personally when, when things like that happen? So, It's a great question, Joe, and I I have to tell you that in today's media environment, you're just always going to face questions and criticisms, especially if you're part of a beloved institution, Um, because it's kind of interesting that, you know, if if people don't like writing a story, the Red Cross saves lives today. They they expect us to save lives, so it's more interesting to be critical of a beloved institution. And um, I'm I'm very mindful of a quote that came from Gloria Borger from CNN. She said, for most people, no news is good news, but for us, good news is no news. And that really right. says it all. Um, yep. But the reality is, if you look at the overwhelming majority of media attention that the Red Cross receives, it's positive. And, you know, this is at the very local level. On a typical day, we're mentioned between two and three hundred times in the media, if you can believe that. Wow. And ninety-nine percent of the coverage is either neutral to positive. And these are small outlets that say, you know, John Smith just came home from volunteering in the floods in Missouri, and you know we welcome him home back to uh, New Jersey or what have you. And it's because there's always interest at the local level of what the Red Cross is doing. And, you know, the other thing is I just take comfort in our mission. Right. Um, And, you know, criticism without merit is always very frustrating. It's not a pleasant experience, but I just know our life-saving work continues to make a meaningful difference in the lives of so many people and um, just keep moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's a great way of looking at it. That's awesome. So if you had uh, one piece of information that you could share to help people be successful, what one piece of information would that be? Well, it's kind of hard to put it into one piece, but sure. if I just could, should, you know, first of all, 
and my guess is that if you ask um, 10 people on your podcast, you're going to get 10 different answers to this question. But right. um, I think if you're really an active learner and you take time to learn new skills when you have opportunities and you network, like you said, with lots of people in your organization, especially network with people whose jobs seem interesting to you. You know, just want to learn about what your organization is doing. How do people get to that position? Do they like it? And then, of course, stay very invested in what you're doing. Um, you know, the thing I tell people at the Red Cross all the time is if you're far away from the mission, get in touch with the mission. Um, you know, go on a fire run where we are helping right. somebody who's a victim of a home fire. Go donate blood. See what that's like. Um, you know, if if people can touch the mission or in, you know, other cases can be near a customer and really see what their institution is capable of and doing, it it really keeps your interest going and it keeps you very motivated, whether it's in a nonprofit or a for-profit, you know, just get close to the customer on the ground and see what your your product and your services make, make the kind of difference it's making in the lives of others. Yeah, that's great. Now I think that's that's a huge part of it. And I, I see so many people that you know they kind of think of a job as as nine to five. They come in, they go home, and and that's it. But I, I think you're absolutely right. Just touching the customer you know, getting involved, rolling up your sleeves and, and, you know, helping out. And I think that's one of the things I loved about the Red Cross too, was when you, you get in there, you can help volunteer and do blood, uh, even part of, you know, when I was with the IT team, you know, we were unlocking shipments of blood supplies and things like that. Even though we didn't really you know touch the, the customers directly, you could see the impact we had. So it was always there and you always knew that everything you did was, was very important. So that's, that's a great piece of information. Well, um, you know, I, I love the fact that you were even uh, getting involved in the supply chain in, in biomed. It's, right. you know, it's eye-opening when you see, e even if you're in a, a support function, it's eye-opening to see the role that your function plays when it eventually gets into the hands of a customer. And um, everyone plays an important role, but if you lose sight of what it is because you're too... Um, isolated, then you, you you don't really have that same drive or spirit to to contribute. I believe. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, this is uh, this has been great, guy. I really appreciate your um, your time today. I know your time's valuable, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen in and uh, and converse here. And I know uh, next month is uh, is Red Cross Month, so um, that's going to be uh, great to see what you guys have planned. And hope I can get back in and, and volunteer as well and do some great things. So I still stay connected we with would, uh, a lot of people. Well, we would love to have you volunteer, Joe, anytime. Great. I might take you up on that. I might have to come down to D.C. It's been a little while since I've been down there, so I might have to uh, take Amtrak and come down and, uh, and and do something to help out. That would be fantastic. Seriously, we'd love that. Great. That'd be awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it today. Thank you, Joe, for having me on your show. Thanks. Great. Take care, gal. I'll see you. Right. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was Gail McGovern, President and CEO of the American Red Cross, and uh, some really great pieces of information from her. If you think about it, um, I think what what really stood out for me when when you listen to what Gail said, you know, one of the dominant things is always be a learner. You know, learn, 
as much as you can. And, and sometimes it's not always about, you know, getting that lateral move. Like she said, you know, it's, it's kind of like lattice work. Like you, you go sideways, you might have to make a lateral move, but you learn as much as you can. I, I think that's a, it's a great piece of information and, and be active, uh, be an active learner too in your organization. And as we talked about so many people just do the job, you know, they, they go home, it's a nine to five job. They really don't do, you know, too much with it and get involved in the organization. But I think that's absolutely key to get people passionate and rally behind the mission especially something like the, um, like the American Red Cross. Um, and I think again, too, you know, mentorship, you know, as, as we talk to people on this, uh, on the show, you'll hear constantly people have mentors. And, and as I coach people as well, I don't see a lot of people that, that do have mentors. So it's real important. You have mentors and even, you know, a couple mentors right now I have three or four, and it's a great way to ask questions, bounce some ideas off of, and, uh, and just you know, get yourself in check. Um, that's another another great point that Gail brings up. And I think ultimately you got to love what you do. Uh, it's I think what Gail said, have the passion and true love for what you do. And uh, that really brings it all home. So great interview with, with Gail. And again, Gail, thank you so much for your time. And uh, might just be down in, uh, in Washington, D.C. next month for, uh, for Red Cross Month. So let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about major news in the job industry. Um, we heard today that uh, for Delaware residents, uh, DuPont and Dow announced that they've uh, designated Delaware as headquarters for the agricultural unit. So uh, my thought process there is I could see jobs down the road uh, that could be coming in probably late summer, early fall. So that's good news for Delaware. I know back at the end of December, uh, DuPont had uh, engaged in some uh, reorganization restructuring where 1,700 people lost their jobs. So this is good positive news for uh, the Delaware economy. And as we look through uh, some other other news, uh, Walmart profit fell 8% in the fourth quarter. Hopefully they will uh, look to see them, uh, them rebound a little bit. Um, we have heard that QBC is looking at uh, potentially doing some restructuring. There might be some layoffs coming. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, American Express um, uh, earlier in the week indicated um, that they were considering some layoffs. There's no information just yet, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, as you know, the um, primaries are coming up in South Carolina for the Republicans and for the Democrats. Uh, Nevada primaries coming up this weekend as well. So it'll be real interesting to see what happens as things continue to transpire in the presidential race. And the reason we, we keep that information out there is we want to see what, uh, what the candidates are going to bring to, to the job market and how they're going to create jobs and, and continue growing the economy. And that's, that's very key. So that's actually all the time we have today for the Career Expert Live. Again, thank you, Gail McGovern and the American Red Cross team for allowing this to happen. Wonderful interview with, with Gail. And next week, we'll be interviewing uh, Mr. Russell Davis. Uh, Russell Davis is actually uh, in the hospitality industry. He's actually John Taffer's right-hand man on... Uh, Spike TV's Bar Rescue, and Russell's uh, been in the hospitality industry for a numer numerous years, and he's got a lot of experience, so it's going to be great to learn about you know, waiting on tables, bartending, and uh, how to really engage your, your customers and clients up front and continue to make them happy and drive, uh, drive great service. So that's all the time we have for today, so please join me next week as we welcome Russell on the show. You can find me at facebook.com forward slash Joe Wu fan page, Twitter at Joe Rychowski, Google plus Joe Wu.com. Thank you all for listening and being a part of this journey, everybody. Live amazing.